Thank you very much. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to be here, actually. Um, it's kind of hard to express that, to be, to be honest with you. Um, it's a, it's, well, you know what? L let me start with a word of prayer. God, thank you for this time that you have given us each day at 1050 to learn from you, to learn more about you, to grow closer to you. I pray that this time is not only honoring to you, but beneficial to the students and faculty and staff who are here to listen. Please guard my words, and may I speak with wisdom and truth that comes only from you. In your name we pray, amen. So, good morning, students, faculty, staff, and esteemed guests. It's, like I said, it's a, it's a distinct honor to be able to talk to you today in chapel. I truly am happy to be able to talk to you today, and my sincere prayer is that you'll hear something in my talk today that will encourage you or benefit you in some way. I've been asked to talk about something that I do care a lot about and have some experience and expertise with, and that's the idea or the, the issue of mental health. And I want to talk specifically about how you, students especially, can live in a biblically informed life that leads to better or even optimal mental health. And you have to understand, mental health is a huge subject to consider, right? I mean, I could talk about a hundred different things. So I just want to dial into a, a couple of key concepts today that I think are really important for all of us to be aware of and to hear. And unlike most of my classes, which a lot of you have probably, probably taken at least one of at some point already, unlike those classes, I don't have a lot of slides or notes to follow. I actually wrote this whole message out and... You know, it's not like I'm winging it in my classes. I hope you understand that. Uh, but those are a little more freeform and kind of spontaneous, and uh, sometimes you can go off on interesting tangents, and that's okay. But you can't do that in a chapel message, or at least I don't feel like I should. And let me tell you, putting together enough words for this amount of time is harder than you think um, because you have to make sure you're not repetitive. I have to not be boring, which I, I know I'm capable of doing. And some of you are like, yeah, we totally know. Uh, you are boring sometimes. So if you are thinking that what I'm done, like, wow, that guy really is boring, please come try one of my classes. They're 90% exciting. <laughs> I, somebody said something smart. Okay, I'll pretend I didn't hear that. Okay. And one other caveat, and this is, and I, and I mean this very sincerely, so please, please hear me. Um, whenever I talk about mental illness, I think I or anyone else you always run the risk of, of unintentionally hurting people by making them feel like I'm judging them or condemning them because of their choices. Because I talk a lot about choice, and I think that's important to recognize. But I, I also, please hear me, I want you to see this talk as something that's meant to be general and helpful for most people. I know that some of you have situations that this just won't apply very well to, and that's perfectly okay. I'm not intending to speak directly to every single one of your situations, so hear that in, in, in the way that I mean it, please. So to give you an idea of where I come from, I grew up in a Christian home in normal cities with a pretty normal family. I am married to my wife of 27 years. <laughs> right? You should, you should clap for her, uh, not for me. Um, I have, uh, I have two sons. I have an 18-year-old freshman in college. He's, he goes to another school, and I have a junior in high school. And I've done a lot of things in my life to this point. I'm 48, um, in case you were wondering. 
I'm not 32. I know. I, it's, uh, I've been, uh, I've, yeah, that didn't work as well as I thought. Okay, so I've served as a therapist. I've been a mental health therapist. I've been an academic advisor to college students. I've been a college student. Um, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a colleague. I'm a friend. So I have a lot of experience dealing with people's stuff, right? Um, I teach the science of psychology, and I do so utilizing the biopsychosocial spiritual model, which is essentially the worldview that I see the world through, particularly the world of psychological science. And I think it allows me to have a pretty good understanding of what mental health should look like and what it can look like. Second, I want to offer you a minor challenge. Raise your hand if you do not care at all about your mental health. Sweet. That means 100% of you are going to pay attention. Okay. To that end, I challenge you. Take out your phone. Everybody, if you have your phone handy, take it out. You're like, wait, what? Don't you get mad about phones? Yes, I do. Take out your phone. Take a look at it. I'll give you a second. Check and see if there's any emergency that's going to happen in the next 30 minutes. Anybody got an emergency? All right, here's my challenge. I challenge you to turn it off and put it completely away. And I mean completely away. I challenge you. I dare you. I believe that what I have to say to you is that important. I also believe that when you enter a house of worship like this, you are wanting to be present and open to hearing what God has to say to you. And let me be clear about this. The research is stark that while women are better at multitasking, they're terrible at it. And men are much worse. So if you want to learn something today, give me your full attention. This is why we say, leave your phone in your bag in class, right? I am not a grumpy old man. Okay, so let's get started with something that I, I also, another thing that I want to get out right away. Mental health issues are very real, and they deserve serious discourse regarding them. Depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, phobias, addiction, these are legitimate disorders that affect millions here in the United States alone and countless more around the globe. I've lived around the world, and mental health illness is everywhere. It's not just us. I know that some of you suffer from mental health issues, and I want you to hear this very clearly from me today. You are not alone. You are not the only one. And we absolutely care about you. This is a broken and hurting world, and these issues are absolutely real. I also want to say this to anyone listening, because there's probably three people online. Mental health issues do not mean you are not a good Christian. They don't mean you are a worse sinner than other people. They don't signify that you are not deserving of God's love, and they certainly don't mean that God has abandoned you. He has not. I also don't believe that God gives you mental illness. I don't think God gives you bad things, but I do think He allows things to happen. And I think that, happen, that things happen to us, much like in the story of Job, God allows things to happen. 
In fact, the Bible has examples of faithful servants who suffered from mental anguish. We don't know if they had disorders or not necessarily. But David was troubled and dealt with deep despair. He did some bad things, and he hurt for it, right? Elijah asked God to take his life. He was so distraught. Don't forget about that. Elijah went up to the mountains and asked God to take his life. Jonah was angry enough that he wanted to die. Job suffered deeply. Jeremiah was lonely and insecure. Even Jesus suffered and grieved. Remember the shortest verse in the Bible? We just looked that up as kids, right? Jesus wept. And when you're a kid, you think, it's cool, there's a two-verse, two-word Bible verse. But when you think about it, he wept. He was sad. He was deeply hurt and anguished. These are feelings that we all have. These are feelings that Jesus had as a human, a perfect human. So many people who love Jesus and strive to live as Christ-like as possible suffer from various mental illnesses. Just being a good Christian doesn't protect you from mental health issues. As Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I just want you to know how proud I am that I opened this without spilling. Lindsay warned me. She's like, open it before you go up. It's like, good idea. Thank you. All right, so thinking about these things allows me to segue into an item that I want to discuss this morning a little bit, which is the worldly notion that being mentally healthy means you're happy all the time. That is not true. It's pretty much an impossibility, as anyone who has spent a week camping in a tent can attest to, or anyone who's ever owned a cat, or anyone who had to wear metal braces instead of those Invisalign trays. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, I still have scars inside my mouth. Or been through middle school. <laughs> All right. Speaking of middle school, can someone please tell me why 80s fashion is making a comeback? Acid wash jeans that you peg up for your white Converse cons? Those big glasses that look like safety goggles? I had to wear those in the actual 1980s, and I don't need a reminder of my middle school years every day. Thank you very much. <laughs> so when you consider these things, you know you can't be happy all the time. Sorry, balcony folks, i got to look up at you once in a while. I, I know you're there. And how else do we know that this is the case? It's because the Bible is very clear on this subject. Just listen to five out of a hundred verses on suffering. You know, I did the Google Bible search, Bible verses on suffering, and the first side it said, there's over a hundred. Okay, well, I picked the five most appropriate ones for this talk today. So, James verses one, two through four says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Second Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, this is Jesus talking now, that ye in me you may have peace. In the world 
You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And finally, Paul again in 2 Corinthians, <laughs> he had to say this a lot to the Corinthians apparently, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we, which is always a key to pay attention, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So there's several key takeaways here that I think are pretty instructive for us today. First, it's pretty apparent that we are not only going to suffer, but sometimes it's going to be pretty rough. And yet here, God keeps telling us that we are going to be okay. He comforts us. He will not abandon us, and he will deliver us. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen today or next week or next month or maybe even this decade. But God delivers, and he is always there. Second, these sufferings are allowed in order for us to grow. You don't grow without a little bit of adversity in your life. Just life doesn't work that way. Through these afflictions, we learn to be comforted by God so that we can comfort others. I mean, I'm sure some of you have been in the position where you're trying to comfort somebody and you're thinking, I have no idea what this feels like because I've never experienced this myself. Well, as you get old like me, you deal with all kinds of stuff throughout your life and you get better at these sorts of things. You realize that sometimes comforting is just putting your hand on somebody's shoulder or just standing next to them. You don't have to do anything magical. Sometimes just being there is enough. So we learn to rely on God for our strength and our resilience so that we can weather greater storms in the future, and we learn to be steadfast. Now, I was kind of curious, so I looked up a few different Bible versions, and steadfast is often substituted with words like perseverance, endurance, and patience. That's not my favorite one. I'm not super patient. I have to drive on 35W every day, so... But perseverance and endurance, right? So what, can we, what we can hear James informing us is that when we, remember, meet trials of any kind, of any kind, it builds our endurance, it builds our perseverance, and it builds our patience. These are real, tangible, and beneficial virtues that we develop by suffering through trials. And what's more, we actually can gain joy from this. And that seems so counterintuitive, but it's absolutely the truth because the Bible tells us so, right? Okay, so how many of you have done something really challenging, and when you finished it, felt a genuine sense of joy? How many of you had something like that? Oh, great. All right, so Professor Trick, so you don't get bored too easily, turn to your neighbor, I'll give you a, a minute, and share with them what you just thought of, something hard that you went through that brought you a lot of joy. Go ahead. All right. This is always dangerous to do because you never know when you're going to get people back. <laughs> okay. Thank you for sharing that with your neighbor. 
Okay, it's a tremendous feeling, right? Especially when we've planned to do it. I mean, look, when I was 35, my doctor told me either stop eating ice cream every night or take up a new exercise habit. Well, that was an easy choice. I started to run. <laughs> and I thought, what should I do? I need a goal or something. And so in the local Sioux Center newspaper, there was an ad that said there's a 5K later in the summer. I thought, I'm going to run a 5K. So I trained, and I went through trials of physical tribulation, pulled muscles, lots of sweat, realizing that I wasn't as good a shape as I thought. And I ran that 5K, and guess what? I won my age group. Thank you. Yep. It was only later in the day that I found out I was the only person, male or female, in my age group. Yeah. Here's your medal, sir. Like, okay, thanks. I don't need that anymore. But I think you know where I'm going here. That's not the kind of trial or challenge that James is referring to. I think he's talking about the unexpected trials that we grow the most from, like losing a loved one, severe financial hardship, your parents deciding to divorce, a crippling anxiety, a dark, dense cloud that creeps tighter and tighter around you, hate, anger, or shame that you just can't seem to shake, an addiction. These aren't inherently joyful things. I mean, let's be honest. None of that stuff is fun or pleasant. And yet here is the Lord of light telling us to be joyful because he is with us and we will make it through these trials with him. We can be grateful for our sufferings because it allows for God to do good works in us and through us. And we can be thankful and joyful when we are strengthened as we pass through the forges of life. Now, you might be thinking, well, then all I have to do is pray, right? And God will turn all this to joy, right? Not so fast, my friends. I believe that while God can absolutely do anything He wants for us, to us, I mean, God is all-powerful. I think He wants more for us than that, though. I think God wants us to do our part. Crying out to the Lord is always a good idea. But it seems to me we need to have some willingness to put some skin in the game by working to do the things that are within our control to do to deal with our own challenges. We don't want to be like the guy in the flood who on the first day of the flood in his neighborhood, a big truck comes by, you know, one of those jacked up trucks with a lift kit. And some guy says, hey, buddy, let's go. I can drive you to safety in my big truck. And he says, no, 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 I'm good. I'm praying for a miracle. God will save me. The next day, the water is up to his porch, and somebody comes by in a canoe and says, hey, dude, I'll give you a ride. Get in my canoe. He says, no, no, I'm waiting for God to give me a miracle. He will save me. And then the next day, he's on top of his porch, like he's on the roof of the porch now, and a motorboat comes by. And you know I'm going here. He says, get in the boat. We'll take you to safety. He says, no, God's sending me a miracle. And the next day, the helicopter comes with a ladder and says, get on the ladder. And the guy says, no, I'm waiting for a miracle. And the next day, he's dead. Because the miracle showed up on day one, but it looked mundane. It came in the form of a therapist who says, I can help you deal with your stuff. Sometimes miracles come in very 
blasé packages. Don't miss them. They're there. Sometimes it takes some work on our behalf to make the miracles happen. So in keeping with this theme, I want to shift gears a little bit. We don't want to talk about suffering all day. But I want to talk about what kind of things we can actually do to help facilitate healing and also deliverance, but also how do we protect ourselves in the same way. So one important tactic that we can certainly utilize is the immense power of our God-given willpower and intelligence. You're all smart, exciting, young. Well, my friends and colleagues over here aren't so young anymore, but the rest of you are. Oh, you knew that was coming. And so, unfortunately for you, you have a lifetime of trials and tribulations ahead. We're already halfway there, right? So, (laughs) sometimes it's nice to be older. But as we've already detailed, trials are on the way. You all have bad stuff coming. That's super uplifting, I know. But you know what? We've got to be honest about things. You have adversity coming. But you have tools at your disposal that you can utilize to mitigate some of these tar pits of life. One key tool is our ability to change the way that we think. God created the human mind with an incredible ability to adapt and adjust our ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving by simply changing how we consider the world around us. Our chosen mindset can be a huge change agent in the battle for good mental health. Research on well-being has long upheld the construct that higher levels of pleasant affect and low levels of negative affect combine to equal higher levels of satisfaction with life, to say nothing of the role of our faith in relationship to God. And you notice I didn't say happiness. I said satisfaction. And there's a key distinction here that I want to make. We're not able to be happy all the time, but we can be pretty satisfied, even when things aren't going the way that we want. So in other words, presenting yourself in a positive way and keeping a mostly positive mindset can lead to greater levels of satisfaction in life. And before you think I'm just spouting a bunch of secular stuff, keep listening. So how do you exactly go about doing this, right? It's like a lot of helpful habits. It's pretty easy in theory and concept, but in practice, it, again, it takes some good old-fashioned work. I mean, yes, developing a positive mindset is pretty simple. Just think more positively. That's actually true. But the reality is it takes some time and effort to develop new pathways of thinking and processing the world around you. Changing your mindset is, it's not like driving a speedboat with a, you know, a, uh, or a jet ski where you could turn on a dime and just go the opposite direction. No, changing your mindset is more like a big cruise ship. It takes time and it takes effort and it takes space to kind of change the way that you think about things. But it absolutely can be done. Research is very clear. Improving your mindset and view of the world around you can have a significant impact on your overall satisfaction with life. So one of the things that we as believers in an all-powerful God can do to change our mindset is to shift our mentality to one that follows the words that we already read about in James 1 verse 2. Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. When we look to find the positives in any situation, we allow ourselves to get a glimpse of what God intends for our purpose, our calling, and our growth in life and the strengthening of our faith. A personal and powerful lesson in this regard came for me when I was 16 years old. 
And this isn't like this really hard or tough story. My life was pretty good in Phoenix. Anybody live in Phoenix? Anybody from Phoenix here? Nobody want? Okay. Woo. Okay. But, you know, honestly, sorry, I wouldn't call it great. Um, I had some good friends, and my high school was okay. It wasn't awesome. Basically, I was content enough. So when my parents decided we're going to move to Washington State, I had a wide range of emotions, like anybody would in that situation. But the most key emotion I felt was fear. I was already not super cool. I was afraid of not being cool at all. I was afraid of not fitting in. I was afraid of being alone and friendless. <laughs> Fortunately, my parents were wise enough to remind me that God is in control. And we don't always understand the why of things when they happen. Sometimes the lesser comes later, and for me, that was certainly the case. That move changed my life in many ways. I found greater community than I ever had before. I enjoyed richer and deeper friendships than I had ever had before. I saw my parents and my sister flourish in different ways as well. Now, was this a traumatic event for me? Did I struggle with my mental health, with, with mental health issues during that time? No. Thankfully, I did not. But I didn't really fully understand the why until later, that it was a change in my mindset that allowed for me to see the trial of moving to a new state and a new high school, which is a big deal. I saw that as an opportunity instead of a hardship. I learned that when you engage with a problem or situation with a positive growth-oriented mindset, it can completely change how you feel. A verse my mom gave me on a keychain, which I don't know if that's the coolest gift to give kids anymore. Here's a keychain, right, with a Bible verse. Joshua 1 verse 9 said, Have I not commanded you? Which means... I did. So in other words, I have commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will go with you wherever, well, sorry, will be with you wherever you go. These encouraging words and a mindset that focused on the good that will come from any situation allowed me to see change and transition as something to embrace instead of something to fear, as something to look forward to rather than run from. And when you are able to move your thinking from, wow, this is going to be hard, I don't think I can do it, to, wow, this is going to be hard, but I will be better for it, suddenly that trial, challenge, or personal mountain doesn't seem so insurmountable. Changing your mindset, like I said, takes some effort, but it absolutely can be done. And I want to move into some tangible, easily assimilated action steps that you can take. Mindfulness and acceptance-based cognitive behavioral therapy, which is really hard to say clearly, are often used in concert to combat mental health issues and disorders like depression and anxiety, and they work pretty well, in fact. I think mindfulness can be a fantastic way to connect with God as well. And it reduces a lot of those negative feelings and thoughts that fuel the fires of mental health issues. It says in Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing, you, or pardon me, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Let's hit that again. Do not be conformed to this world. You are in this world, but don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says right there in the Bible, you can renew your mind. You have that ability. We know that as Christians, we have agency and we have free will. We have the capacity to make choices and engage in self-reflection, which is a very valuable thing to do, by the way. And this includes the choices we make emotionally and behaviorally. Some of you know where I'm going with this one. You know one of my least favorite emails. And somebody's like, are you talking about me? Yeah, I probably am. One of my least favorite emails is when students say, my mental health won't allow me to do my homework. It's not that I'm not sympathetic. I probably am more than most of you think I would be. However, what you should say is, I'm struggling with my mental health and I'm choosing not to do my homework. I'll never forget my own experience in college. Excuse me. I got some very difficult news just before a large project was due, and I called on a landline with cords at each end. <laughs> My psychology professor, and I asked for an extension, <laughs> and he reluctantly gave me the weekend, but he let me know that while he did feel bad for me, he also expected me to do the job that I was assigned. And I didn't know yet what he knew. It was something that I had not learned that we still have choices, even when we're feeling pretty bad. In fact, a good therapist will tell you that when you are facing mental health issues, you should try to do as many normal activities as you can. You keep your routine. You try to get enough sleep. And you do the regular things that you enjoy doing. And the regular things you don't enjoy doing. And hear me. This is a tougher test for those with more chronic issues. I'm not minimizing that in any way. But doing something is so much healthier than doing nothing. And just to be clear, I'm not just being a grumpy old professor who doesn't like late work. I mean, I don't like late work. But I mean this for your own good. And yes, I also realize I probably sound like your dad. Sorry, not sorry. There are five core themes that I want to share with you briefly for mindfulness and acceptance-based cognitive behavioral therapies that line up well, I think, with biblical truth. First, expand your view of psychological health. Pain and suffering are inevitable and should be embraced like the verses we discussed above. But don't avoid your pain and suffering. Instead, decenter it and distance yourself from it. You need to passively accept those negative symptoms and let them come as things that are not a part of you. Let's pretend your parents call, and I try to think of a a nice example. Your parents call, and a pipe bursts in your house, and all of your meaningful possessions have been destroyed. That's sad, right? All your medals and all your ribbons and all the letters that you got from your ex and all that kind of stuff. It's all gone. You might be mad too, right? But here's the thing. Accept those feelings for what they are. They're feelings. You feel them. Feelings do not define you, even though you are fully feeling them. 
It's okay to feel. It's not okay to be defined by those feelings. Second, take a broader view of acceptable outcomes. What are the things that could come out of this? You can do this by changing the function, not the form, of psychological problems. The function is what's going to happen. The form is what you do with it. Live according to your Christian values and use mindfulness to accept what you either can or cannot change. You can change how you feel about getting laid off from your job. You can't change the fact that you did. So accept it and move on with life. Feel the feels and then move on. Third is acceptance. Accept your experience at the moment for what it is, minus the judgment. I think too many times we have things happen to us and we judge ourselves. We're so hard on ourselves for our feelings. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend dumped you. Accept the fact that it hurts and it might hurt for a while. But don't harshly judge yourself immediately. Take some time and space to think about the why and the what. And that's fourth, mindfulness. Pay attention to the here and now without judging yourself. Distance yourself from troubling thoughts and feelings, but don't avoid them or try to control them. Deal with them as they are. You suddenly feel sad remembering all of your possessions drowned in your room back home. Instead of punishing yourself for having those feelings, accept them and learn to observe how you're feeling so that you can process, why do I feel so bad about this stuff? And you can process these things in a cleaner and clearer way. There will be time for self-reflection later, but in the moment, be aware of what you're feeling and realize those feelings don't control you. You control them. Fifth, create a life worth living. Focus on your Christian values and remember your purpose, calling, and the fact that you are created in the image of God. Imago Dei. Allow yourself to experience your meaning in life and the happiness that comes from knowing God is present with you and that he will comfort you and guide you. All right, now I'm going to give you three response styles. And if you, if you want this information, I'll send you the whole thing. Just email me later. Okay, I've got some response styles for mindfulness research. you got to love research, right? And it helps you generate good mental health. So we have literal proof that this stuff actually can be helpful to you. These styles are referring to your response to the things in life that might not make you the happiest. First of all, develop a centered response style. This means to attend to the here and now, deal with what you're dealing with, and expand your self-awareness and focus attention on yourself as the context of your experience. Now, you might think, that sounds kind of secular and dangerous. Well, you're right. It kind of is. There is a danger here in becoming so self-aware and so self-focused, you just become a self-centered jerk. You don't want to do that, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. It's quite the opposite. The point is to be aware of your feelings so that you can effectively understand them and then put them aside so you can also attend to the other people involved. It's not just about you. It's about the others in the situation with you, too. So number two, develop an open response style. This means you experience the here and now fully. You see this theme, experiencing what's going on right now fully, without judgment, and without reacting to or acting on the here and now immediately. Take a minute. Think. Have some time to understand your response and why you are feeling the way that you do. It's important for us to ask the, ourselves these reflective questions. Why do I feel this way? Should I feel this way? Is it necessary to feel this way? 
Is it hurting me worse to feel this way? And three, utilize an engaged response style. Engage in your daily life in ways that are consistent with your deeply held values. Hold on to the biblical rules for living that God instills in His Word. Follow your call to be Christ followers and allow the meaning of life to be derived from your calling and purpose instead of what society tells you to do on TikTok or Instagram or X. You know I'm right. TikTok. The point here is this. When we recognize and embrace the fact that life is going to be difficult at times, when we accept our feelings as something that we are experiencing instead of something that defines us, we are in a healthier spot to actually engage with the why and the what of the problem itself. When we have the opportunity to self-reflect in a clear-eyed manner instead of being consumed with our negative feelings and emotions, then we can be free to ask God for guidance and wisdom and to really listen to it as well. Because it's not always a big booming voice. It's not a burning bush in our front yard. Do this. Sometimes it's a little whisper. And when we're talking all the time and emoting, we're not listening. And I think that's God, what God really wants us to do sometimes is just listen. My friends, we have choices in how we feel. We have choices in how we act. We have choices in how we think. And no one, and I mean no one, controls the way that you feel. You do. You have choices. And when you don't know what to do, you bring those choices to God. And He will answer you. God gave each of us intellect and insight to be able to see and understand His truth, His call, and His purpose in our lives. Use that power to glorify God through every square inch of your lives, including your own mental health. Soli Deo Gloria, let's pray. God, thank you for all of these students and, and faculty and staff and people here in this room today. Thank you for the love that you have for us. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. And thank you for never abandoning us. Amen. Hey, let's give it up for Dr. Scuddinga again. So we're going to transition into a time of uh, Q&A. Um, and we've invited uh, the GA, the grad assistant, Lindsay, to be with us during this discussion. Come on. First of all, Dr. Scudding, uh, that was so compelling um, and so transformative. Uh, thank you so much for that. Um, Thanks. Um, how about we talk about this? Um, first question. Um, you know, a, a lot of people talk about prescription drugs um, as it relates to uh, depression and anxiety, and there's a compelling argument, I guess, on both sides of the argument around prescription drugs. Um, so I'm going to put you on the hot seat <laughs> and ask you, do you think it's a good idea to take prescription drugs from a doctor for things like depression and anxiety? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it depends on your situation. And I think for some people, the answer is no, it's not a great idea. I think for many, it is, yes, a very good idea. I, I look at it this way. Um, if you are running out on the soccer field and you step on a ball and, oh, sorry, Hannah. You step on a ball and you break your ankle. You, you don't, the ambulance doesn't come and you're like, no, I'm good, man. I don't need to go. I'm just going to let it heal on its own. You, you take advantage of what's in front of you. And my answer to this question is always, it can be really helpful for you to do so. And there's nothing I've ever seen in the Bible or anywhere else that says it's not Christian or it's not biblical to take medicine for mental health issues. And here's a great way to look at it, too. If <sighs> Mental health issues can be like a gigantic fog around you and you can't see. And sometimes that fog is so thick that you need help finding a pathway out. And sometimes medicine can help thin that fog out so that you are able to work with a therapist or a counselor or a psychiatrist to give you a pathway out. And that's oftentimes what medicine does. It clears things up a little bit because the purpose of medication like that is to help your neurotransmitters get rebalanced. And so it's, it's a complicated process and you should take free ad. You should take psychopathology and you'll learn more about this. Um, literally, um, so yeah, if, if somebody says to you, a doctor or a therapist says, I think it's time for you to think about taking medicine, don't run away. Ask questions. It might be the best thing that could possibly happen to you in that situation. That's good. Um, we're going to go to the next question, kind of change the topic a little bit. You had talked about mindfulness, mm -hmm. but if we are looking at meditation, tell us a little bit a little bit about that. Should Christians engage in meditation? And if so, how should we do that? I think we certainly can. Um, I think a lot of people get creeped out by meditation because they're like, don't gurus do that and yogis and stuff? Well, yeah, they do, of course. Um, but I think there's a, definitely a place for Christian meditation. It's very easy to do. I, I'm not a meditator. It's, it's hard for me to sit and concentrate for that long, to be honest. Um, but there's nothing wrong with sitting in a chair, getting comfortable, getting into a comfortable position, right? And just taking some deep breaths, you know, slow in and out, in through your mouth, out through your nose, those sorts of things. Calm your heart, calm your mind. And just think about words like peace or love or Jesus or God or God speak to me. And I think that opens us up to hear and to listen and just to feel God's presence and feel his comfort. So, yeah, meditation is, can be used for kind of ill gains, right? You know, to commune with some other kind of spirit in the world or stuff like that. It's, it's a very useful technique that I think a lot of people would probably benefit from. And it's not taking a nap, okay? Naps are different than meditation. And if you feel like you're going to fall asleep meditating, now you're in nap phase. That's a whole different animal. <laughs> be careful with that. And by the way, how many of you have taken a nap for more than an hour this week? Okay, stop doing that. 10 to 20 minutes tops. All right? As soon as you sleep for an hour, you're done, man. Give it up. You might as well go to bed. <laughs> Quit doing that. It's dumb. It's not useful. Also, maybe go to bed on time. Hey, yeah, can I get some finger snaps or whatever? Yeah, there we go. 
They're clapping it up for you. My, my first class at North Central, I had students doing this, and I was like, what are you doing? They're like, we like what you said. I said, well, stop snapping at me. I feel like you're my mother. Get over here. Now it's, I'm good with it now. It's a Pentecostal thing. It's all good. Oh, the one clap up there. Um, yeah. Um, you talked about X and Instagram, and then you said TikTok. And I understand the TikTok thing, too. My daughter is on it. No. And Lord have mercy, Jesus. No. It works my nerves, I'm telling you. Um, but so we talk about the mental health crisis that we see. How much do you think phones, cell phones, maybe even social media, how much do you think that contributes to uh, the mental health crisis that we're seeing? A lot. And I, I'm always hesitant here. You know, sometimes in my class I, I kind of rant about this, and sometimes it's semi-comical. But in all seriousness... Your phones are an incredibly valuable and useful tool. I mean, when, when I was in college, it was like miraculous that you could walk down the hallway to type on a green and yellow screen. You could like type things live to your friends in like Michigan. We thought that was incredible. I can type my friend Aaron Smith, who goes to Calvin College, and we can type. And then you realize, this is kind of dumb. <laughs> I mean, I hate typing. It takes like five minutes to say, what's up, right? And now you can FaceTime with somebody in Indonesia. You can get on Signal or WhatsApp. You can do all these kinds of amazing things. So I'm not anti-technology. I'm not some troglodyte who's like, technology is bad. Read books, right? But it is bad because... We spend so much time on our phones, and we spend so much time looking for affirmation from, am I wearing the right stuff that my friends on TikTok are wearing? Am I doing cool things? Do I have TikTok hair? Do I have TikTok shoes? Am I cool? Stop looking online for those things. Just stop. What good have you gained today or yesterday, the day before from TikTok or Instagram? I mean, when you balance out what you've gotten that's wholesome and uplifting versus sludge, what's the, what's the balance for you? Now, if you're like, everything I do on TikTok is uplifting and God-honoring, good for you. You are a unicorn. <laughs> Show all your friends how to do that because I'm pretty sure that's not what most people's experiences are. The, the comparison game is so hard for people. It always has been. You know, when I was in middle school, you, it was easy to not be cool just like it's easy to not be cool now. We just didn't post it online. And I think that's what makes it worse, right? Everybody's thought, everybody's feeling is posted online. And there's something to be said for the privacy of your thoughts. We don't, we don't all need to see what you ate for lunch. We were all over there. <laughs> so as you consider that, what are you putting into your mind from these spaces? Is it good? Does it draw you closer to God? Does it make you wiser? Does it increase your knowledge? Nothing's going to make you smarter, by the way. Your intelligence is fixed. You can't, you can't fix that. Okay? But are you more wise? Ask yourself this today. Every time you use TikTok, X, 
Uh, what else did I say? Instagram. What else we got? Facebook. Snapchat. Facebook, maybe. Facebook. Be real. Be real. Be real. Be real. <laughs> Let's be real. Is it making you a better person or not? And if it's not, then what's the point? Thank you. You got a few snaps out there. <laughs> You're doing it just for me, aren't you? <laughs> I like this guy. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Scudiga. We do appreciate you. Can we give it up again for Dr. Scudiga? Hey, let's stand together. Um, and Dr. Scudiga, could you just pray for us as we leave? Absolutely. God, you are the great I am. You love us, you treasure us, and you want the best for us. And for that, we are so grateful. Lord, I pray that you will send these students out to their lunch, to their class, to their lives, and to the world with your power, with your grace, with your mercy, and with empathy and kindness for those who are hurting and suffering. Lord, reach into the hearts of every one of these students here today and give them what they need, whether that's joy or comfort or a little humility. Whatever it is they need right now, God, give it to them as they make their way to whatever is next and bless them in the rest of this day. We thank you for loving us, Lord. We pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow, 1050.